1: Welcome back to the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Blue Chew Report. This week's episode is brought to you by Bet Online and Blue Chew. A little change of pace and conversation this week. You're listening to the first ever New York Knicks theme podcast, or New York Knicks theme episode, I should say. I'm going to do this with other teams, but I wanted to start with the Knicks. A, because I probably converse with more Knicks fans than any other fan base. B, I'm, I'm from New York City. And C, um, Mike Vorkanov, Knicks beat writer for The Athletic, was available this morning. And despite the quiet period, he has had plenty to write about over the past couple of weeks. Mike, is there is there any better team to cover than the Knicks? Like, Would you choose another team to cover if you could?
0: Uh, that's a loaded question. Uh, it's great to cover because there's always uh, a lot of fan interest, which I'm sure you know um, from Twitter and social media and all that. Uh, it's also very difficult to cover because they're unique organization in the, in the way that they operate. And so it's a, it, this is my first NBA beat and it's really a, a very, um, I'm trying to be diplomatic. It's a, it's a very interesting way to enter NBA reporting.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, plenty to cover and obviously a passionate fan base, even when, you know, Times are as dark as they are. There's still so much interest around the franchise um, and, and usually it has to do with uh, r- even right now like th- with the draft coming up. Um, Knicks always seem to be uh, a big player in the draft or at least since they stopped trading the first round picks. Um, and so they have it this year. They're projected right now to pick six overall. I mean knowing their luck, they'll probably pick seventh or eighth. Um, um, and so they have this obvious hole at point guard, right? We, we all know. Uh, that they have a couple of young guys, but nobody that they can really bank on to be the franchise point guard. Um, So I think the thing I'm interested in, and we'll talk about the new hires in a little bit, but do you think that this front office is going to go into this draft with a goal of coming away with a new point guard?
0: Well, let me say like this. So, for one, you know, Leon Rose is completely new, um, new to this whole enterprise, right, of running a front office. He was an agent for a lot of years before this, and he just shifted over, started March 2nd, and then, you know, like 10 days into his tenure, uh, the world shut down. Uh, he hasn't talked to the media. He hasn't explained what he values, what he wants, um, what he's looking for as he tries to rebuild the organization. I I think, and I would, this is kind of just proffering a guess based on, you know, I, what I assume he'll try to do is he'll try to, of course, go for the best player available. And I think that vibes with this draft, which should have a few point guards up in the like the top eight, right? So I could see them. I don't know if they're necessarily like hunting a very good point guard as their first round pick, but I could see that's who they go, you know, out and get because of a kind of a supply and demand issue. Um, You know, like James Weissman would probably not make sense for them uh, in the lottery, right? Right. considering they have Mitchell Robinson. I, and I could see that just be someone that they end up with because that seems to be the strength of this draft up high.
1: Right. So wherever they pick, whether it's two or whether it's seven or eight, there's going to be a point guard on the board. And, and so I, I, you know, I was looking, of course, we'll talk about Wal Perrin in a little bit, the who the, the executive um, and, and pretty much a scouting expert to the Knicks just hired. And I was looking at a previous interview of his when he was with the Jazz from 2017. And the interviewer goes, jazz fans asked me, isn't it tough for you to select somebody in the draft without knowing what Gordon Hayward or George Hill is going to do in free agency. I knew what his answer was going to be. He said, not really. We're just trying to find the best player available. And so I think there's some pressure on the Knicks to come away with the point guard. Uh, But, but they might not, right? Like it's possible that like with, with the sixth pick, they take Obi Toppin, who is a big guy. And of course they don't need a, you know, he doesn't really fill a particular hole on, on the lineup, but it's right. It's possible that the guy that they get at six isn't, going to be the franchise point guard and 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 there are options in free agency I don't know if you know anything about their interest in Fred Van Vliet but like it's possible right that they don't they don't come away with the point guard
0: yeah I think so I think one of the things we have to throw out in the caveat and I hate like uh, because I feel like this is hedging and it's almost like making you sound um like you just want to cover all your bases but because we don't know what Leon Rose like what type of basketball he wants to play right like he could be a guy who wants to play four to five out at all times, or he could be a guy who wants to play two bigs on the floor and make that work. Right. So like, and then taking Obi Tobin to put alongside Mitchell Robinson, uh, is something that's feasible for them. But I would guess just because, um, you know, the people that he's brought in around them, like Brock Aller has gotten a lot of, he's got a reputation. He's a very smart forward thinking guy. Um, you know, Frank Zanin did a good job. Uh, you know, he worked in a good organization for the thunder who have been pretty smart about the way they approach the draft and what they value there. Um, You know, Walt Perrin did a great job, it seems like, with the Utah Jazz, and they've done uh, a lot of drafts where they went for the best player available, even if it kind of um, goes at a position where they already have talent. I think when they drafted Rudy Gobert, they already had, I think it was already having Ennis Cantor and Derek Favors on the team. Uh, So they weren't afraid to search for the high-end talent, even if there was uh, some positional overlap on the roster already. So I would guess that they, they would go best player available, and maybe if that means, you know, if it is Ob at six, let's say that would be a choice that they make. I think the only one that I'd be really hard pressed to see them pick is James Wiseman because that's like a direct conflict with Mitchell Robinson, and you just can't play two centers anymore. There's not really a need for that anymore.
1: Right. Actually, I think Mitchell Robinson is like a better version of James Wiseman, but that's in, that's for another podcast. But so you mentioned Leon Rose and like we don't know what style of basketball he wants to play. So I guess I want to get back to the draft, and I'm kind of going off topic here, but. Um, like when, Phil, when the Knicks hired Phil Jackson, his, int- his press conference, I know they didn't have one for Leon, but Phil Jackson talked about in his introductory press conference, oh, we're going to run the triangle, we're going to play this style. Is Leon Rose, like, it, it, is, his, is he going to have a say in how the Knicks play? Or is he kind of, what's his role? Is his role going to be just to hire the right people to make those decisions? Or do you think Leon Rose is going to have a say in how the Knicks actually play?
0: I think he's going to have a say in how the Knicks actually play. I think you know who he chooses as a coach, right? Will kind of dictate that he also prefers a style of play, right? If he goes with Tom Thibodeau, um, he'll kind of you know go towards this. You know, maybe I don't even want to know if Tibbs is still a defensive first type of coach, considering every, everything that happened uh, in Minnesota. But like maybe kind of a more utilitarian type of offense. Um, I, I think I think he will definitely have a say in who and how the Knicks play because I think the choices that he makes in filling out his front office and organization dictate dictate that as much as just directly saying we want to play like you know run and gun type of basketball
1: mm-hmm. all right so back to the draft for a little bit so Lamelo Ball is uh, he's been number one on my board since November and it's like a soft number one he's not I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think he's like you know um, there's a huge gap between number one and number two or even number one and number four honestly uh, but he's number one on my board I just feel I love his floor and obviously his ceiling as well and I just think it's the best balance of safety and upside. Uh, But anyway, of course, there's going to be a lot of conversation depending on where the Knicks pick. Um, You know, should they target LaMelo ball. Do you have any idea or or any guesses really on how the Knicks feel about LaMelo or or if they're, uh, you know, is should they have any fear? Do they have any fear about the kind of circus that might follow LaMelo in New York?
0: I think the the previous regime didn't. Um, I, I don't think they would have been scared off by that. Uh, at least they didn't seem to be when Lonzo Ball um, was, on, was on the board, I think, a few years ago now. Uh, I think this one we don't know for certain yet, right? Like, even the people that would have gone down to Australia to scout him might not necessarily be there when the draft comes. Um, so I think it's hard to say. I don't know. There's a lot of people who think that would be a good fit because... Um, Lamella Ball was a CAA client there for a while, while Leon Rose is running CAA, right? So, like, they've got some familiarity with each other. Uh, but I, I can't say for certain. I, I think just because there's so much change happened right at this exact time uh, for the organization, it's hard to it's hard to like project it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think and what sucks is that they won't be able to really work him out. I'm, I'm guessing, I um, mean, they won't really have the greatest chance to get a feel for who he is as a person. Although I think the Zoom interviews. Um, you know, uh, have been somewhat valuable and will be somewhat valuable moving forward. And I think if they do interview Lomelo during a Zoom interview, some of the concerns about his maturity will start to fade. And if they look or they reach out to the Illawarra Hawks, they'll find out that um, even though he's 18, 19 years old, and yeah, he still kind of showboats a little bit. I think guys enjoyed playing with him. And um, he, he played the right way overseas. You know, he tried to get guys involved. He, he wasn't, didn't have that me first type of personality. Uh, so I, I, I'm just curious to see, uh, you know, over the next couple months, when, whenever the draft is, and however this draft process plays out, what they end up thinking about Lamelo as, as, as the person, and whether or not he's going to be the real target for them entering the draft. And so there's this other conversation of. Um, and I don't even remember where I saw it, but I've, and I don't even know if I buy the report or not because it's so early to even discuss this. And I'm sure the Knicks haven't talked about it, but moving up to get a guy like LaMelo. So let's say that the Knicks get the six or seventh pick and there's nobody really there. That's like, stands out as like the super sexy franchise type player, um, to move up to, to two probably, which is where they, we'd need to get LaMelo. You know, this kind of ties into Mitchell Robinson's value. Like what else do you think they would need to do to move up to, to get a high pick? Do you think they'd be willing to trade? Who would they be willing to trade to move up, I guess, to get a high pick? And do you think LaMelo is the type of guy that would be worth moving up for?
0: I, I mean, I think that they would be willing—if that was, like, the value that they really wanted. I, I, to me, I would guess that everyone on the roster, save for R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson— um, could be dealt. It's not that, that anyone there has ties to them except for Scott Perry, but Scott Perry now is in a different position. Um, probably has different leverage than he did working with Steve Mills. Um, I don't know. That's that's a thing that they should do. Trying to jump from like six to two, especially in this draft, as you said. Uh, uh, you know, you have him as your like soft number one. So it doesn't even seem he's like the overwhelming best talent in the draft. And everyone seems to be saying it's kind of a weaker draft than usual. Um, and I don't. I definitely don't think you want to leverage future assets to to drop uh, to jump up that high. I, I think that yeah, I don't. I don't know that this is the draft, especially to be doing something like that. But if they did have to, if they did want to make a move, it, it does seem like everyone but Robinson and Barrett um, could be included just because of you know where they are with the organization at this point in time. Yeah,
1: and so everyone else, honestly, I mean, they don't hold too much value. I can't imagine the team is going to be willing to pass on LaMelo because Kevin Knox moves the needle, you know, as a throw in or, or Frank, um, or, I mean, I don't even know who else would be, would be worthy of moving back for. So I, I'm just trying to picture the situation where the Knicks pick six or seventh and LaMelo is projected to go one or two or three and it's going to cost the Knicks Mitchell. I'm, I'm, what do you think the Knicks value more Mitchell or RJ?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. I think RJ, um, just because he was, you know, the number three pick, and it was just last year, and um, you know, there's still some questions about Mitchell Robinson. While RJ Barrett has that kind of pedigree to him uh, that he came into the league with, and he's still only a year removed from coming into the league, uh, that, that that would be my guess there. Uh, obviously, wings are kind of more valuable than big men at this point as well. Um, I, I would think that would be the case, and I would say, you know. <laughs> Part of this question goes into what the Knicks' ultimate timeline is for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they want to use free agency this upcoming offseason or their intent is to use free agency um, to kind of piecemeal a more competitive roster where they don't think that they will be a bottom 10 team next year, right? Then trading away next year's pick doesn't seem as dangerous, right? But if they're trying to rebuild again next year and they imagine there'll be another... One uh, of the five worst teams in the league again. Like then, you definitely want to hold on to the twenty twenty one first round pick, and and that's a you know that's kind of determining internally what the value of that future asset is.
1: Yeah, I just put out actually a mock draft like an hour ago uh, for two thousand twenty one, and a lot more exciting names in the two thousand twenty one draft than compared to the one we're about to see um, in a couple of months. I want to talk about a couple of other point guards, and you you don't have to be an expert to to break them down, but they each have different styles, and they're probably I'm guessing that all three, for the most part, all three are going to be on the board with the next pick, unless the Knicks get really unlucky. So there's Cole Anthony, who, of course, has ties with his father, uh, Greg. Um, there's Tyrese Halliburton, and there's Killian Hayes. These are, um, I'd say, the next kind of tier of point guards once LaMelo is off the board. And they're all totally different. They all have a totally different sales pitch. I'm curious what you think, just based on my descriptions, who you think is... The type of the best fit for this particular roster in this particular rebuild. So you have Cole Anthony, who is the, uh, the definition of scoring point guard, kind of like a Cole Anthony or even a Jamal Murray, a little more point guard to his game than both of those guys. But that's his style. He's a score first type of guy. Um, and then you have Tyrese Halliburton, who's the complete opposite. Who may never average more than 15 points, per, you know, in, in a season per, uh, per game. Um, not very athletic, but cerebral player, high IQ, terrific passer makes guys around him better, but the lack of athleticism, the lack of pull-up game kind of suggests he doesn't have a huge scoring upside. And then there's Killian Hayes from France, who's the full package, I think, in terms of 6'5 size, excellent passer, improving score, but he's 18 and he's more of a project. Um, And the Knicks have already struggled with the young guys, and obviously Frank was a French point guard who came in at 18 and and he's someone who needed time, and I'm guessing Killian Hayes is more of the project. So who you, who's the best fit, based on those descriptions, for this particular roster? A scoring point guard to go with R.J., a passing point guard with limited scoring ability to go with the team that kind of needs a facilitator, or Killian Hayes, who I is the number one point guard on my board of those three? Killian Hayes is actually number two on my board right now, but he's more of a, a longer-term project.
0: I get to put on my Jonathan Wasserman hat. This is fun. <laughs> um, I, I actually watched a little bit of Killian Hayes tape because I wrote about him. Um, I, I don't know why. Time doesn't make sense anymore. Um, I wrote about him at some point. Uh, I like Killian Hayes. I think he's interesting. I wonder if he's like a good enough athlete or like he's a great athlete, I guess, let me say. Um, and I, I think that the Knicks will want to, they have already under Scott Perry. Really valued high athleticism. Um, Frank Nilaquina was a holdover from the Phil Jackson regime, even if that you know that it, that regime ended like a week after he got drafted. But nonetheless, um, so the type of people that Scott Perry really seems to value are these really good athletes and bringing athleticism into the roster. Uh, I would I would think that it would come down to Cole Anthony and Tyrese Halliburton for them. Um, I, I think usually. You know they've under Scott. They've really liked players from blue blood programs. They loved uh, scoring guards. Uh, they love to take chances on players, especially who are kind of really high, um, high ranked recruits coming out of high school. Uh, I that was kind of their vibe. And so, if I had to guess, I would say like if it was just the Scott Perry regime um, continuing what they were doing, I would guess Cole Anthony. But I, I think Tyrese Halliburton. I, I don't really know what Leon Rose values up to this point. Um, but I think it would probably come down to those two players, just because I, I, I think that's where they would go. If I would have to guess, like who makes more sense, I think it's Tyrese Halberton, um, just because he seems to be able to provide a playmaking that they need. Uh, he does, you know, he's bigger, he's longer. From my understanding, he's a not bad, pretty good shooter. He had some success there in college, and it seems like that would translate to the NBA. And they really, really need shooters, and that worries me about Cole Anthony. Uh, and I know there were mitigating circumstances for him at UNC, but he did not have a good shooting year there at all. Uh, I, I would think if I had to go with one, I would probably go with like Tyrese Halliburton. But I think if they were to pick one, it would be one of those two.
1: Yeah, when I do these mock drafts, um, I've, I've come to, uh, to grips with, I think right now, Halliburton's got to be the leader in the, in the clubhouse. Which is ironic because I think of those three guys, he's the lowest on my board in the vacuum. Um, I, I think his fit is going to be what so What makes
0: important. you um, put, put him lower on your board?
1: I think it's his, he could. What I should really do is do a, a big board after the draft because I think of all the players, maybe in this whole draft, his fit is the most important to him because he can't, he can't, mm. it's, he, right? My comparison for him is Lonzo Ball. And I think Lonzo is so much more effective when he has a guard who can put pressure on defense as a driver. Albert can't beat anybody off the dribble. He didn't make very many pull up jumpers in, in two years. He's got a really weird form that's not really conducive for pull up shooting, which I think you need to be a, a high level scorer. Um, and so just, uh, you know, I think he's a, 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 his passing is going to translate, but I think he'd really benefit Halliburton from playing with another guard um, who can put pressure on the rim. And I guess actually R.J. Barrett's a pretty good, pretty good uh, partner to have in that department. So, yeah, I, I guess he is, a, he is a fit for the Knicks in, in that sense. And, of course, it just would be a nice change to have a high IQ guy running the show uh, and just you know, watching Dennis Smith a point guard can be um, you know, nauseating at times.
0: Well, but- let me ask you, I mean, because a lot of the things you're saying about Halbert and sound like some of the traits that Frank Nilakina has, um, you know, the difference being that Frank Nilakina is also a, like a 32% three-point shooter, right? And so that also limits his offense uh, even further than just the kind of the the lack of aggressiveness and the... Um, either the willingness or the ability to beat guys off the dribble, you know, Halliburton just looking at a real quick shot, 42% from three. Do you think that shooting is real? Because if it is, you know, I think he, he could be a good fit on the Knicks.
1: Yeah, I like Halliburton as a spot-up player. He actually ranked in the 99th percentile as a spot-up player. Great at catch and shooting. Uh, but if you're the point guard, you know, there's only so much you're going to be spotting up, and he's going to be the guy, you know, making the decisions, handling the ball. I mean, RJ is going to be doing more spotting up. And if I right, and, and that's funny. That's a great point you brought up with Frank. If there's one reason why the Knicks would be hesitant on Halliburton, it's because they just went through a couple of years of having a point guard who can't really put pressure on defenses by attacking and creating his own shot. Halliburton can't really create his own shot, and that's just a, a bit of a worry uh, in my mind for him in general. Um, and of course, with this Knicks team, who I think could really use uh, just another bankable score. Uh, again, that they can count on every night to give him 15, 20 points. I don't think that's going to be Halliburton, but depending on how they continue to build the roster, Halliburton might be the perfect fit for them. And at the same time, he's just a safe player because he makes good decisions. He can make open shots, and he's just uh, just a good, uh, also really high-character guy. Like You can't say enough good things about him um, in, in terms of a locker room guy and somebody you want representing your franchise. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Knicks value those three guys. I really don't think they're going to take Killian Hayes just – for all the reasons you said, and they value athleticism, and I think they're going to have more of a comfort level um, with, uh, with with Cole, of course, and, and, uh, and with Hallie. Um, how about – so here's another question. So Obi Toppin, and I mentioned him before. Obi Toppin's going to be on the board – maybe on the board. He actually might go top three. I have no idea. But he's an interesting option for the Knicks because compared to some of these other guys, Obi's 22. Um, he is the national player of the year in college basketball, averaged 29 – Shot sixty percent, thirty nine percent. Three. He's the guy who helps them fastest, probably in terms of production. Do you think that should matter? Do you think that will matter to the Knicks? Or are they still thinking about long term?
0: No, I, I think that one of the things that they've kind of made clear by hiring Leon, uh, by bringing in Steve Stout as the brand consultant that they have, is they want to have, um, they want to have a change in their reputation. I think they want to do it relatively quickly. They want to be a place where free agents can go, and free agents want to go. Uh, and part of that is just being better and being more attractive right now. Right. So I think if I had to guess, I, I think that they do want to be better um, for the 2020, 21 season. Um, and I think if Obi Top- Toppin has kind of that ability to help them right away, and then also has some long-term upside, that would be an interesting pick for them. And that could be a fit for them for those reasons. Like I, I don't know that they necessarily want to take another three, four year project uh, who can delay their ability to sell themselves as an organization to stars around the league?
1: Yeah, Toppin does have some star power, and of course, um, college basketball fans will will know him. You know, they won't know Killing Hayes, and and so I think he'll he'll have some interesting support right away. And and yeah, I mean, like at some point they want to have a guy, a rookie, come in and make an impact and not shoot. I mean, the last three top ten picks they've taken have all shot forty below forty percent from the floor in their first year, and so it would be a really nice change to get a. a a first-year guy who comes in and, like, you know, like Porzingis did and, and, and makes a, a pretty big impact. But um, in terms of long-term upside, you know, not the track record of 22-year-olds who've gone top 10 is pretty miserable. But at the same time, I could see them uh, taking a guy like Obi. What about – so the Knicks also have the Clippers pick at 27. I believe it's Charlotte's pick at 38. Any thoughts or ideas or rumblings about packaging those two picks? I mean, do they want to go into training camp with – three more rookies plus brasdecus who i assume they're gonna have some type of plan for you think that there's going to be some type of goal of packaging those guys to move up it may depend on who they get with their number six pick or wherever they pick first but you know what are your thoughts with those two, two those other picks
0: yeah I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, use that pick either if they do want to move up to see if that's you know a potential asset that they can use to do that or even just try to get themselves a veteran um, you know the roster right now really needs a lot of help and they can have eight free agents for next season so you know that that would be basically all their vets wiped off the board immediately except for julius Randle. and so all you have is the young guys and so i would be surprised i would not be surprised if they use that pick that clippers pick um in a trade to get someone that can help them that is a you know veteran that can help them be better next year so they may they may never get to a point of making that selection um i i would guess that that it's what they ultimately do. Like, you know, when you have eight guys, when you can really turn this uh, roster over immediately in one offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. Like uh, the current front office, or the way that it's looking, will not be tied to any of those guys. Um, but if they do keep it, I, I would think that they would try to take like a long end uh, moonshot type of pick. You know, someone that can potentially pop someone with a lot of potential and talent who's sliding down the board for whatever reason.
1: Right. yeah no I have a hard time believing right that they make three that they bring in three rookies like that there's always by the way there's always somebody who there's a big difference between 27 and moving up like seven spots to the 18 to 20 range 2000 l- last year I mean it was Thibel and Brandon Clark went what uh, 20 and 21 and then Lonnie Walker Kevin Herder, Lantry Shamit the year before and John Collins and OG and Jared Allen the year before that, there's like a range right there in that 18 to 23 where you can get a really good player. And I think the chances drop significantly um, later in the 20s. Anyway, so let's talk about um, some of these hires. Um, John, uh,
0: John, can I ask you one question real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because the Knicks have, you know, uh, their second round pick is at number 38. It's Charlotte's. Um, and I guess if we were trying to think this through, because I hadn't even thought about it until now, is there a big difference from someone who you can get at 27 versus someone who you can get at 38? Because I would think then you're more likely to, if they're about even, you, you're more likely to use that 27th overall pick because you could get a, a guy at 38 and structure that contract a little better.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I don't think there is any difference at all. In fact, you can make an argument that the guy who's 38 on my board is just as good as the guy who's twenty-seven. So, mm. um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They have a lot of options. It's good that they have these extra picks. Um, so let's talk about some of these uh, these executives that they brought in. Um, and, of course, they signed Scott Perry to the one year deal. And then a month later, they add Walt Perrin, um, who everybody has been raving about, myself included. Um, first off, so what do you think the purpose of, was of, of signing Perry to a one year deal and then adding Perrin like a month later?
0: Perry, they had a, um, a option for him uh, coming up. May one was the trigger date, so they had to make a decision on that by my by May first. Um, they decided to keep him, and you know, from now it seems like he's only on a one year deal. So I, I don't know how long term this is. It could be a case where um, Leon has a good long uh, long term working relationship with him. You know, he represented Rip Hamilton when Hamilton was on the Pistons, and Scott Perry was the a Pistons um, front office executive at the time. So they've known each other for a long time. Um, and he could just be someone he's comfortable with and can kind of help uh, get him into the front office and learn the ropes of the job and also learn the landscape in New York uh, and then make a decision later on, you know, next year, whether he wants to bring him in long term. But I, I think more indicative of, of how he fills out the front office is all the people that he's hiring uh, around Scott Perry, including Walt Perrin, who are kind of, you know, bringing in his guys, quote unquote, if we have to, you know, play that game uh, and, and overlapping with people that were in the Knicks front office under Scott Perry, and I think, um, I think I don't know if that like necessarily minimizes Scott Perry's role and influence, but at least it brings a lot of new voices into the fray that weren't there when Scott uh, had the job.
1: Let's take a quick break to shout out to the best online gambling site out there. There is no shortage of action going on in our exclusive partner Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in the $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BlueWire to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. online, your online wagering solution. Also, guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Go to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, you order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free. When you use the promo code BlueWire, just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, and, and so um, going, moving to, to Walt Perrin. Perrin, who's been the guy who's been around the league forever. Terrific reputation. And um, you wrote in, in an article, um, I think it was earlier this week, just kind of going through his track record of finding all these gems for Utah. And uh, he just has a great reputation in the scouting department. Actually, when I first started the Bleacher Report, the funny thing was, I think we were like LinkedIn, and I sent him a message because I'm trying to connect with all these guys, and I want to hear bouncing ideas off. Of uh, executives, and I knew he had this great reputation. So I was like, "Hey, Walt, you know, I want to bounce some ideas off you." And I listed him. I listed uh, a couple names and some ideas, and I was like, "What do you think about these guys?" And he just wrote back, "No comment." (laughs) (laughs) Like like totally shut me down. But um, so yeah, give give me some like some background on on how the Knicks kind of went after him, and and what their kind of plans are going to be for him. Maybe not just now, but down the road.
0: Well, um, you know, Walt worked for 19 years uh, in Utah as their player personnel executive, especially uh, running the drafts. He had a pretty large influence there. Um, You know, I talked to Kevin O'Connor, who was the former GM before Dennis Lindsay. So he's he's very well respected around the league. Everyone seems to say very nice things about him, has good things to say about Walt. Uh, The track record speaks for itself. And, you know, I think he and Leon got to know each other when Leon represented players and tried to schedule workouts or, you know, did all the machinations that occur ahead of a draft. And Walt Perrin was um, the VP of player personnel for the Jazz, who essentially booked um, Donovan Mitchell for a workout in 2017 ahead of the draft. And that was with his agent, Ty Sullivan. So Leon didn't work with Donovan directly, but he obviously oversaw CA Sports. And I think they just have a longstanding relationship. And Walt's reputation is pretty good. And I I think he just, you know, I think he wanted to come to New York and uh, work in an organization, try to make it work there and uh, probably got a nice little pay bump uh, to do it as well. And I I think that bodes well for the Knicks that they're able to pull in these executives that have good reputations uh, and still bring them into the organization, considering everything that happened the last seven years.
1: I know it makes you think, like, what was like Mills doing? Like, why was he not trying to replicate this model of bringing in smart people? Um, it's like yeah, like Leon Rose is like assembling like this Avengers squad <laughs> of uh, like specialists. And so Brock Euler is another guy. And I, I got to say, I'm not. I mean, these cap specialists. There's only so much you can get to know them. You know, I don't. I don't know much about Brock Euler. Of course, I've read more about him since the Knicks have hired him. And um, I just want to. I want to read something from your piece that you put out today because it's some really good quotes in there um, um, from some of your sources. And and one of them said, you know, just. Just every day, he would come up with ideas, trade ideas, G League stuff, everything in the CBA. He'd always try and find loopholes. He would look into every possible thing with that kind of stuff. He's like a computer in a way because he studies that shit. He reads it. He knows everyone's contract, everyone's incentives. Um, That's just like such. That's just a big selling point to me. Um, Let people know more about Brock and like, and you know his his reputation and and how much value he's going to bring to a Knicks franchise that I think has kind of struggled with with salary cap and contracts.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest and let everyone behind the curtain right now uh, of this whole reporting gig that we have going. I had never heard of Brock Oller before the <laughs> Knicks <laughs> were about to hire him. <laughs> like, I could lie to you, I guess, but I don't really think that suits anyone well. Uh, and so then I started doing my research on him and, you know, just talking from people who know him, who would work with him. Uh, he's got a really good reputation. He came in through Dan Gilbert's uh, Quicken Loans operation. Uh, and then made the, the change over to the Cavs uh, when David Griffin got the GM job. And I think Dan Gilbert had probably been looking for a way to get Brock Aller into the Cavs front office. And Brock wanted to to get there as well. And he's, you know, he, he was part of what Griffin called his nerd cave. Just basically like three people um, who were charged with like essentially finding ways to find CBA loopholes and make smart deals. You know, it was Brock Aller, John Nichols, and Tony Liotti. Um, and I think he and Leon knew each other for years before that. From what I understand, they had Worldwide West as a mutual acquaintance there, and obviously Worldwide West has been a longtime friend uh, to Leon Rose and everything that I've heard has been positive about him. He seems to be a really smart guy. His mind's always humming. Um, he really does know everyone's contracts for a team like up and down. He's, you know, he's trying to find CBA loopholes, knows how to massage it and find uh, weak spots in it. I think the moves that the Cavs pulled off during the 2014, 15 season and exploiting the CBA are no longer possible from what I understand. They've been closed up. Um, and so, you know, the Cavs for the last few years were not a good team, but I think some of the things they did were interesting. And in pulling off the deals, especially that they had to, um, were involved a good deal of like, you know, <laughs> cap semantics and and finding ways to get trades done with limited cap space. And they're going the Knicks are going to need someone like that who's forward thinking, who's pushing the boundaries. Uh, the Knicks haven't been too creative with the cap in recent years, and so I think um, that might be a kind of a, a breath of fresh air for them. Uh, and, uh, from what I understand, you know, he's a very analytically minded guy. And I, I think, uh, that's kind of the vein of person executive that the Knicks are bringing in because from what I, from what I gather, and I think it was, um, Kevin O'Connor who told me this about Walt Perrin too, is, you know, Walt Perrin has, is not just a scouting guy, even though he's been in basketball for like 40 years, he started as a, you know, coach at Northwestern he was an assistant for Tex Winter uh, so he has those kinds of roots but in Utah as they became more analytically minded Walt Perrin became more analytically minded so I think that's kind of that type of thinking is what they're adding across the board in their front office
1: yeah I mean I, to me he sounds this guy sounds so valuable valuable and like you said like I to me he was just Brock Oliver was just like a name I'd see in front office listing I didn't didn't know much about him. I couldn't pick him out of the lineup. Um, and then the more you read about him, the more you realize, man, this guy could hold a lot of value to a franchise. Like I, like my dad called me the other day, and he was like, you know, what do you know about Brock He's like, what's, like, what do, why does the team need a cap specialist? <laughs> I was like, it's not black and white. Like, it's not just like, you know, there's a set list of like 10 easy rules. There's like, it's really complicated, and there's ways around these rules, and you need like really smart people to understand the CBA and, and, and the cap to, to figure these things out. And not every team has a guy like this. We, cert- The Knicks certainly didn't. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that, to me, this is such an under the radar hire uh, just based on the fact that he didn't have this, you know, this national reputation that their average fan never heard of him, including you know, reporters and, and like me and you. Um, so anyway, th- uh, it's really interesting to see what Leon Rose is doing. It seems like such a, a breath of fresh air, right? Like compared to what what Mills was doing. I mean, kind of compared the two regimes in terms of like m- m- who are the guys who, who Mills was relying on?
0: Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing here is, you know, Steve Mills, when he took over, he hired Scott Perry as his general manager. And I don't know, you know, what they're. Re- I don't think they had like an amazing, long standing relationship when he hired him. But when he did, the front office was filled out by people who Scott Perry had known for a, a long time. You know, much of the front office or some of the front office had worked with him in Orlando before. Like, he knew all these guys. And the thing that. Uh, Leon has going for him is that when he was an agent for 20 years, you know, he got to work with every team, every organization, and his tentacles across the league uh, were probably pretty vast and obviously much more than we knew about. And so he's pulling from all those relationships that he's had over the last two decades. And he has, I would guess, probably a wider network than Steve Mills did uh, because Mills just worked in the Knicks front office you know, I'm both the business and the basketball side for something like 20 years before he took over. And, and he's pulling at that, you know, I think he's known Frank Zanin for a long time. Uh, both of them are kind of Philly area guys. Uh, Walt Perrin, he's probably known for a long time. And, you know, Brock Aller, he got to know when uh, he was doing deals with Cleveland. And uh, he had a pretty, pretty famous client in Cleveland for a while with LeBron James and other CA clients there. So he, that's, that's the, I guess, the benefit of hiring someone like Leon Rose is that Maybe down the line they get you a star in free agency or a disgruntled guy who wants to get traded to New York. Maybe. We'll see. I have no idea. But, you know, you can leverage those types of relationships and that reputation f- to help out your front office and coaching staff, too. And-, and that's not nothing.
1: Yeah, no. And so we don't know what's going to come in the future. And but we do know that since Leon Rose has been hired, I think the the franchise has become more credible Like more people look at them look at the Knicks with respect compared to what it was. So they're, they're moving in the right direction, even though they haven't made any big player personnel moves. um, They're, they're definitely strengthening their credibility as a franchise. All right, now we got the executives down. Let's just go through some of the the younger players on the team, kind of assess their value. um, And what they what they need to do to kind of maximize their potential that that the Knicks thought that they had when they took them. And so let's start with RJ. So because the lottery was like a year ago from almost a year ago from today um when they find out they're going to be have the third pick and everyone knew that Zion and Ja were going to go one and two so I think once the lottery happened I think everyone kind of had a good feel that the Knicks were going to get R.J. Barrett and there was a lot of excitement about it fast forward one year later do you think that they should feel equally excited as they were one year ago has some of the excitement diminished Uh, you know what's the feeling one year later since knowing that they were getting R.J. Barrett
0: oh that's a good question um I think I think maybe if you talk to analytics people, they won't be as high on R.J. Barrett. I think scouts uh, still think pretty highly of him, pretty well of him. I, I think that there are some reasons uh, to like what he did as a rookie for the Knicks. Uh, I thought that he showed that he had some skills that could one day become elite. You know, he's really good at getting to the rim. He's really good at getting to the foul line, even as a rookie. And those things should bode well for him going forward. I think, like, the only players in the last five years or so that averaged more free throw attempts per game as rookies than R.J. Barrett were, like, Zion Williamson, Joel Embiid, uh, Trey Young, and, like, Luka Doncic. Like, that's a pretty good class to be in. Um, I think there's still significant questions about his shooting, Uh, Just as they were. And I remember reading you leading up to the draft, like just as they were last uh, last spring. Right. Like, where is this jump shot going to be? I think that's going to be the ultimate determining factor about what kind of player he ends up being. But I I think if you're asking, did the Knicks uh, should the Knicks have picked like someone else at number three last year, a year into everyone's career? I think they were still right to take RJ Barrett there's just still questions and uh, about him going forward, but also things to like. And and so I I don't know if that's like trying to play both sides, but it it just is the case. It's hard to say definitively he's going to be a star, but I I also don't think that he's going to be a bad player in the NBA either.
1: Yeah. He was three on my board at the time. And there was no way I was going to give the Knicks any criticism for taking RJ because I think one, after John Zion were off the board, there was a big group of guys with just complete uncertain trajectories. You know, you just didn't know. And, and, R.J. had been in, in the scouting eye for so long. He was super productive at Duke. Uh, he's a gr- he's a good kid. He's got the NBA body. Um, he was just an easy easy bet. And I guess it's just the point of, right, is he going to be a good player or is he going to be a star player? And, of course, like you said, a lot comes down to his shooting development, um, his pull-up game. Can he play off the ball? Is he going to improve as a pick-and-roll ball handler? He kind of flashed a little bit of everything. Um but now he's got to take that next step this year. I think this is a really big year for him. You know, is 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 really the is the jump shot, you know, the priority this upcoming season.
0: Yeah, I think so. The the jump shot and um here, here here's one thing we have to figure out around RJ and you can tell me if you think that this is just trying to add too much context but that maybe isn't necessary, but I don't think he was on a roster that was well suited for him this past season as a rookie. Like there's no shooting uh, there's very little floor spacing, and he was the third or fourth option most nights. And it was, you know, way after uh, Marcus Morris and Julius Randle got theirs. And so I'm curious to see what happens to him when he's put on a team that fits his skill set a little bit more. But yeah, the shooting definitely is a priority for him. That's something that they worked on throughout the entire um, year, you know, before his pregame workouts centered around his jump shots, centered around his form, centered around making sure he was having good form, even on his free throws. That's something that they spent time on uh, throughout the year, and it's definitely going to be something that they spent time on in the offseason as well.
1: Yeah, it was not a good fit for him. At least, you know, once he got, once the Knicks took him and then we saw what they did in free agency, adding the power forwards and whatnot, you knew he wasn't going to shoot a high percentage from the floor. Just being a guy who's going to be like a fourth option um, and some nights he was going to get a shot some nights he wasn't and he's tough as an 18 19 year old to kind of pick your spots um, so yeah he was not set up for efficiency uh, but this year I would expect or to hope that they kind of feature him more more ball screen situations uh, more give him more trial and error I like get out the mistakes in this game more so we can kind of get closer to making those improvements um, but Long term, I think I, th- I still feel the, kind of the same way as I did on draft night. Like I I never thought he was going to be a superstar player, but I think he's got the chance to be a quality starter is probably the label I gave him on draft night. Mitchell Robinson is, uh, I mean, Mitchell Robinson we're seeing now, of course, as we do every summer, I think dating back to high school, highlights of him shooting jumpers and handling the ball and, and then the game's come and he never does any of that. Um, but so, you know, we kind of tried talked a little earlier about mitchell robinson's value um again what are we what are we expecting for mitchell robinson like what kind of player are we expecting him to be well i i think at
0: this point it's just kind of a a really good uh rim protector rim runner type and eventually you hope that he grows into a good like defensive anchor um The shooting, I just, I don't know if that's going to get there. You know, I've heard at least ever since the Knicks drafted him, uh, I think it was two summers ago now, you know, that, oh, he can shoot, you know, he, he should get an opportunity to shoot, but it just never happened. Um, he, he talked coming into this past season that he were spent all summer working on his three point shot and that was gonna be a part of his game. And then I don't think he took a single three pointer. If I remember, maybe he took one, um, all season. So that's just something that he's worked on and he talks about, but has not added to his game. And I think right now, like you're not even looking for him to add a three point shot. You're just kind of looking for him to add maybe like an eight footer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think, I think something like 98% of his shots came within like seven feet of the rim, five feet of the rim. Um, They were all dunks or layups. Like his, his game is very simple. It's very effective, but it's, it's, you know, um, it's it's very simple in the sense that he just gets shots, he gets dunks, he gets layups. I, I think if he does that well and he focuses on that, he'll still be a very valuable player just because of his defense alone. You know, he's a rim protector. He can switch out on the perimeter and guard uh, guards and wings out there. Like, he doesn't get lost. He doesn't get blown by because of his length especially. Um, and he shows enough patience out there to guard guys. If he adds anything else, I think that would be kind of a surplus value. But even if he just hones in on those two very nearly elite skills, that makes him a very valuable player in the mold of a Clint Capella or maybe you're hoping as a best-case scenario like a Rudy Gobert.
1: Right. I mean, I think he has a little more skill than he, than he even attempts to show. I mean, I'm looking at a synergy profile right now. He attempted four post-ups all last year. He made three, three or four post-ups last year in the half court, and he made <laughs> and he took one jump shot in the half court. I mean, I know that's not ever going to be his bread and butter. You know, he's not going to be a scorer that you feature in the half court, but he's so good within like 12 feet of the hoop because of his his ability to just elevate above guys. Like, don't you want to see a little bit more of of giving him the ball and and seeing what he could do just because he's so special physically?
0: Yeah, I think it would be interesting. Like, you know, in – workouts i've seen him you know dribble from the foul line and yeah from the foul line from the three-point line on into the rim and so he's shown he can handle the ball a little bit but i you know as you know there's a difference between showing it in drills and showing it in games so it might be a case where he's not comfortable with it um and where he or either the team's not comfortable with it you you know I, i think for mitchell robinson part of it is just I think part of his learning curve is adaptation. You know, everything I heard about him when he came to the Knicks was he's a really shy guy. It's going to take him a while to open up. Like he he's just a very big introvert. And by now, he's probably the most extroverted guy on the team when it comes to media stuff, when it comes to being comfortable in his environment. And I think that maybe it's the same way on the court and he just got hasn't gotten to a point yet where he's comfortable handling the ball on the court, where he's comfortable taking jump shots, where he's comfortable even just taking like 10-footers. And uh, part of that is pulling it out of Robinson, and part of that is a coaching staff that just is creating an environment where he feels comfortable enough to do that.
1: I know. It's funny because most of these young guys come in and they try and show that they're perimeter. They try and show things that they're that they they're capable of and that they're in their bag. And, and Robinson's like the complete opposite. Like he doesn't even attempt to show that he can do any of these things. I think if I was the coach, I'd, I'd encourage him to shoot a little bit more and, and, and try try some things, you know, see what works, see what doesn't work. And that would just generally increase his value, not to the team, but around the league in, in case that, uh, you know, trades ever did come up, you know, for a big superstar player, of course, like Carl anthony Towns is going to come to mind. And, uh, and Mitchell Robinson, just to improve his value around the league, show that he's a little more than a Clint Capella. He could actually create and, and, and improvise with the ball. Uh, a a little bit down low and and yeah he has changed a lot in terms of his personality i mean i remember interviews in high school and like his answers were like two words and uh you know his interviews were always awkward because he would never talk and i think he's gotten a little more comfortable with the media like you said um and he's growing a little bit it'll be interesting to see if that kind of translates on the floor moving into you know his his third season whenever that is um and then there's kevin knox so we'll, we'll finish up with frank let's get to kevin um who i gotta say I'm just starting to lose faith in and I know he's still it's hard to say that about a 21 year old but um, and, and also the fact that his minutes went down last year which I think is on the coaching staff but do you still have hope that Kevin Knox can become an asset or, or you know what's your thought on his development and, and where you think he can go in this in next year
0: I think he can become an asset I, I still think he can be a good player a good rotation player Um <laughs> He's another one of those guys who's not, who's not well served by this past season. Like his minutes dropped by about 10 minutes per game. Uh, his usage, like I, I wrote a, a thing about uh, his, you know, kind of his development and what scouts are thinking, what the numbers say about him. And um, you know, every one of his numbers dropped this past season. Like I'm looking at it now. He had more than he had 276 pick and roll possessions as a rookie. And he had 122 this past season, right? Like his minutes dropped dramatically. And, And this was a guy who came to the Knicks as a raw product. And they, you know, they knew he needed time. Everyone said he needed time to develop. He needed time to work on his skill set. He needed time to do new things that he hadn't done in high school or even Kentucky, right? Like, he was a pretty limited player at Kentucky. And so he came to the Knicks in need of reps. And he got them for a year. And then he stopped getting them last year. And so it's hard to, like, put anything definitive about him, even uh, despite his very bad shooting numbers, his bad efficiency numbers, because there's still talent. There's, there's still size there. I think he was not well served by playing at the three and sometimes the two. Everyone I talk to seems to think that he's more of a four going forward, and that's always been his true position. And he's slowly bulking up as well. Um, I would be curious to see what he can be if he gets time to like play the right position for him. Like he, he gets some opportunities. Minutes don't get jerked around as much. And part of that, part of that is on him too. Like he has to show more effort uh, defensively, especially. He has to continue to improve his skill set. But I could see him being eventually like a uh, small ball four who can shoot, put the ball on the floor a little bit, maybe be a weak side shot blocker if he kind of really puts his head there. I, I think that there's a player there. I, I just don't know if it'll happen in New York, or at least it hasn't happened in New York for a number of reasons uh, so
1: far. Yeah, no, that's you nailed it right there. I think he has a chance, just not with this current team. Uh, Yeah, he has some excuses. They have done a terrible job in in developing him and giving him a role to play to his strengths to succeed. Uh, And and yeah, maybe if he gets on on a a better team where he can kind of focus on his strengths. uh, But I mean here's a a great uh, He was He ranked in the zero percentile In isolation last year Yeah Uh, He was 0 0 for 10 He was never a guy Who can create his own shot Even dating back to Kentucky I think between uh, Pick and roll And isolation situations At Kentucky Which he wasn't used in much there 4 of 18 As a freshman (laughs) So creating his own shot Was never a big strength That means he's really Got to get better Being a spot up player Uh, But he ranked in the 27th percentile And not only Did he not shoot well Off the dribble or catch But he's such a bad finisher and it's that bad finishing for a guy his size that really scares me for a guy who also isn't really a playmaker and probably won't add much value on defense. And so, um, I don't know, I think he's – if I'm the Knicks, I'm I'm shopping him. He's the type of guy I want to kind of see what I can get before his value dips another year On a in a, in a role and a team that he's going to have a tough time, you know, giving you – maximizing his talent on. But Knox is a guy who I'd say I've really, really been disappointed with. And then there's frank and so frank frank has like a whole big support of fans right it feels like on he's Twitter. the
0: most divisive player on the knicks
1: i know and i'll say myself i've gone back and forth on frank even dating back to his time in france that year scouting him i was like i like frank i hate frank you know, oh frank's defensive stopper oh he can't score uh, and uh and so even since he's come to the knicks he's had some stretches of okay okay and then some stretches of uh oh, this guy sucks again where um so what's the step for frank this year to kind of live up to well he probably is never going to live up to the number eight overall pick but to to kind of revive his stock in the nba and again become like somebody that the knicks could possibly resign
0: i mean is it as simple as just like be better offensively i (laughs) i don't know i mean like he he just has to he he'll go through periods of time where he gets to be aggressive offensively um, and he starts to look for a shot and he tries to make a concerted effort to get to the rim. And that opens up, you know, shots for himself, playmaking opportunities. And then there are times where that just stops and he's uh, much more passive. And you can see it in his stats, but you can see it just watching him. Um, I found that there is a big correlation there for him this season in who he was playing with. It seemed like playing with Marcus Morris and Julius Randle really muted his offensive game and really turned him into um you know, a passive offensive player. I think the difference like when he was playing with Morris and with Randall, his usage percentage was like 12.9%. And when he was playing without those two, his usage percentage was 21%, right? That's a drastic difference. Um, So it seems like he he does defer to who he's playing with. So that matters for him. But, you know, that's not always an excuse. Sometimes you just gotta, you just (laughs) gotta be more aggressive on your own. Uh, to me, it, it, it's all about that, and at a minimum, it's whether his shot comes around. You know, if he can be a league average shooter, then there's uh, some value and potential to him as almost like a 3 and D type of guard, uh, wing type of player, and if you can get someone who defends that well, and he is like a 36, 37% three-point shooter, I, I think that's a rotation player. With his basketball IQ, that could be a starter on a good team.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the same situation. Like, I could picture him being a really valuable player for the Spurs, but... Right now for the Knicks, you know, can he take that next step? Um, I guess some of that's on how they build around him and some of that's on him in terms of approving his shot. I think he did, t- right? Didn't, he, didn't you think that he became a little bit more passionate, a little more energetic and confident last year? It may not have always translated to consistency in scoring outputs, but just in terms of his personality, didn't he carry himself with a little more confidence last year? Oh,
0: yeah. I, I think last year was definitely the most um, – you know, the most expressive that he's been, uh, the most aggressive that he's been throughout the year. I think the last month, the season, especially, uh, he was trending that way. He had a 20 and 10 game, the second to last game of the season against the wizards, March 10th before, you know, two days before the season stopped. So he showed signs of it again, it was just consistency and he hasn't been able to do it consistently over a month, over two months, you know, let alone a season. He'll just go through weeks at a time, spurts at a time where he, even when he does get the minutes, he just can't, keep it on because I don't know if it's truly in his nature like I <laughs> I've talked to him a lot throughout the years because I've covered all three of his NBA seasons and I remember him saying you know I think it was the start of last season his second season where he thought that looking for your own shot was selfish and he had to reprogram his mindset to think that wasn't the case so that's really part of it is just an internal battle um, to conceptualize the game in a way that will help him be more aggressive and, and me be more assertive on the court. Uh, and if he can do that, I, I think that he can eventually become a good, valuable player in the NBA.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't lost hope for Frank and, and he's really a really good kid and um, somebody the Knicks should continue to, uh, to put work into, I think, and, and not necessarily deal. And I've kind of said in the past, like now's a good time to trade Frank, but I kind of backtracked. I think that he's he's somebody to be a little bit patient with um and so again it'll be interesting to see what their plans are um with with the new decision makers at the top and um if he can really take that next step anybody else um that deserves to be mentioned among the young guys uh, on the next you know
0: i've always thought Damian dotson deserved more playing time i don't think he's young anymore i think he's 25 or 26 and he's gonna be a restricted free agent um, this summer after the end of his third year but I, I always thought he was you know deserving more playing time he's a kind of a three and D guy who showed uh, some emerging skill set handling the ball but I never quite understood why his minutes varied so much um, throughout his time with the Knicks and uh, well th- you know, I have no idea what to make of Ignace Brazdakis because he didn't play for the Knicks at all um, you know he showed signs in the G League but like that's not the same thing as doing in the NBA but that, that's about it for the Knicks. You know, they have those six guys as their core um, young offensive players, and it, they gave them, you know, little to no playing time at different points in the last two years. And um, they're going to have to make decisions on all of them. Like Mitchell Robinson can become a free agent possibly next year if the Knicks want to let him hit restricted free agency to maintain um, – his rights, instead of just letting him go to unrestricted free agency in the summer of 2022, Frank Nilakina can be a restricted free agent next summer. Like Dennis Smith Jr., I thought really, really, really regressed this past season. Uh, I don't even know what to make of him going forward. Just that's how big of a drop there was. You could argue he was one of the worst players in basketball on a permanent basis uh, because of how poorly he played, but he did have a lot of uh, personal variables to deal with. And that's about, the, you know, that's about their young players right now, and so they're going to have to make decisions on them fairly soon. Um, the only one who's really, they have time, is R.J. Barrett right now.
1: What about Trier? I mean, is Trier done? Is, is that he's, you
0: know, he's going to be a free agent this summer. Um, they gave him a big deal coming off uh, being an undrafted free agent. But Alonzo Trier is a complicated player. Like, he's really good at the one thing he does, which is score and find shots for himself in isolation and off the dribble. But I don't think he's shown yet that he can be a productive a uh, playmaker as a teammate, or contribute defensively. And so, you know I, don't know, I don't know necessarily that the Knicks should have gone, like, two months without playing him, uh, but he was hard-pressed to, to get into the rotation just because of the type of player that he is.
1: Yeah, I, I know some guys around the league, even when he was playing well, there some guys around the league who just, like, hate, just really don't like his game, even though he could have some really nice out, scoring outbursts. And I actually think he's a pretty good, um, good guy to have on the roster, maybe as, like, a late— you know end of the bench guy if you're down you're down 14 and, and you need somebody to he's a good player to play when you're losing maybe not necessarily when it's tight or when you're winning but i thought it was a little bit surprising to see how little he played after the knicks i gave him some guaranteed money um anyway i think we covered a lot here right um anything else that uh is there anything left anything you want to plug any any thoughts you have on uh this team moving forward or in the NBA in general?
0: Uh, I always want to plug the athletic subscribe to the athletic. Uh, (laughs) But I did want to ask you, um, I, I don't know, like I've been trying to wrap my head around the draft and I've been diving into like some draft prep myself. And just aside from reading you and reading everyone else out there, but just trying to watch tape of these guys. And it really does seem like it's a complicated draft, especially if, You know, even at the top, but especially when you get to like five, six, seven, eight, where the Knicks might be picking, I I feel like there's just so many guys who go in that range, and it's it's really it's not a normal draft where you can just pick a narrow group of players and predict something to some degree. Like I don't know, it just seems so hard to figure out what's going to happen whenever this draft happens. Um, I I wonder what you think, like what the well, like what the number of players who could potentially get picked in the top ten is. Yeah, I mean, so there's like kind of
1: a and this is kind of more of like, it's not necessarily all the NBA teams, but there's a big group of two tiers, I'd say, with Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo, Denny Abdia from Israel, Obi Toppin, Killian Hayes, Halliburton, Okangu, Isaac Okoro. um, I think Cole Anthony's in that mix, RJ Hampton, maybe Tyrese Maxey. um, Devin Vassell is somebody who I think could sneak up there and, and go earlier than what you're seeing on mock draft boards but uh yeah and then i i really do think that's actually going to be the majority of the lottery those guys i mentioned of course there's always a you know a surprise name that kind of pops in there um and kyra lewis who i know the we probably should have talked about him earlier as a potential option for the knicks who's just another point guard in this in this deep group of point guards who could jump in there but uh, I think the guys I mentioned are going to make up the majority of the lottery. I don't know what order it's it's going to happen in. But, uh, yeah, and then after that, it's total parity. It's like, again, uh, you, I kind of say this a lot, but the guy who could be number 15 on one board could be number 40 on another board. It's it's going to be a, a really unpredictable draft, and um, I wouldn't put too much stock, honestly. I know it's probably not smart to say, but don't put too much stock into my <laughs> mock drafts this year because, um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of guesswork here. but. Uh, it's not considered to be a strong draft at the top. Having said that, you look at some of the names in the late 20s in the in the second round, and you're like, "Wow, there could be a lot of steals in this draft." So I'm not ready to say that this is going to be a weak draft, um, but it, it's just tough to right now identify who the the potential stars. Yeah,
0: Kyra Lewis seems interesting, and he, I I think like I feel like he's one of those guys where if you're picking like let's say the Knicks pick eighth or ninth, something like that, which they have a chance of doing. And there's no one there that you're like really in love with. I don't know. I would consider moving back a few picks if there's an offer there. See if you can pick up some extra assets and take Kyra Lewis at like 13, 14, maybe if you think he'll still be around. He does seem to be getting um, some uh, some buzz, I guess, let's say. And I've read good things about him and he seems interesting and he seems like young enough where people shouldn't be sleeping on him as kind of like a, an older upper class uh, upperclassman type of player who's putting up numbers just because he's been around a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was he plays his whole sophomore year at eighteen years old. He's he's a sophomore and he's a year younger than Bill yeah. Anthony. So, and he averaged 18, five and five, and he hit enough threes. And I, again, the, the the playmaking he's kind of very complete. The the only thing that's the um, a little bit scary about him, I guess, is his physical profile. Not only is he not very uh, bouncy or athletic, he's kind of thin. And so you just question is he going to be able to separate against NBA point guards? Pull up game, not the greatest, but. The big draw to Kyra Lewis is he is fast with the ball. Maybe the fastest player in the draft with the ball. And and for a Knicks team, again, that that struggled a little bit with Frank at the point, total change of pace here with Kyra. He is just a, a type of guy who can grab a defensive rebound and, and get you a bucket in four seconds the other way. So it'll be interesting to see um, where the Knicks value him if they put him in that same group with the guys we talked about earlier with Halliburton. Hayes or if they want to move down a little bit to get him or if they want to trade again like we've talked about before 27 and 38 and try and get up um, into the top 20 for a chance at Kyra. Yeah certainly somebody worth talking about inside the Knicks front office. But um, I think we covered enough guys. I won't keep you on any longer. Um, Follow Mike on Twitter. Uh, He's got a lot of stuff going on uh, on The Athletic and of course subscribe to The Athletic and uh, I guess uh, you know State, hang tight until uh, we hear anything more about basketball. There's been some promising developments, right? Like the season is actually, could potentially happen. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I just didn't really see that coming. Although props to Adam Silver, I guess, for, for being pretty persistent with this. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk again next week.